Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This lesson is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class and learn the lessons. So welcome to our Catechism class. We're still talking about the providence of God. When we studied Lord's Day 10, question 27, in our last podcast, we learned from R.C. Sproul that providence comes from the Latin root videre, the word that begets our English word vision or video, something related to sight and seeing. When we talk about God's providence, his providence, we're speaking of how God sees and knows everything about us in advance. And more than that, for as Sproul pointed out, the word is similarly linked to provision. When I left school at 16, I went to work in a shop, intending to learn the meat and butchery trade. It was a short-lived career indeed. I wasn't there too long before I started to discover that meat fresh out of a cold store is uh, a little bit on the cold side. And I don't do cold, especially on my fingers. Anyway, one of my very first jobs in that store was to serve cold meats and bacon and cheese on what they called the provisions counter. Back in the 70s, provisions was what the housewives would have bought as the staple diets for their homes. They were laying in the essentials of food for their families. Now God's gracious provision for us, his laying in store all of the aspects of our life and the world in which we live is an act of his providence, his tender ongoing care for and his governance over his created universe and everything in it, as we noticed last time right down to the very smallest atom. Now the question we need to ask finally in this section is how does this affect me personally? And that's what we want to ask in this podcast, and we'll find the answer in Lord's Day 10, question 28 of the Heidelberg Catechism. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. Question 28, Lord's Day 10. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? What does it benefit us? So we're asking about ourselves. The answer we must give is that we can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. 
for all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. Now before we go any further to consider the material provisions of God for all mankind and for his own people in particular, let's pause for a moment and let's remember that when we think of God's provisions for us, we need to consider God's greatest provision of all and that is the provision of a saviour to take away our sin, to make us acceptable to enter the presence of a thrice holy God. This was prefigured in the Old Testament. There's a very unusual incident in the life of Abraham, and we read about it in Genesis 22. It would be worth your while just to pause the podcast just now and read Genesis chapter 22. It's about Abraham and Isaac. Abraham, of course, had been old when Isaac was born, both he and his wife too old to bear children by natural means, but God had given them a wonderful promise, a promise that he would bless the nations through his seed. And despite Abraham's waywardness and doubts and disbelief, God's promise was fulfilled when Isaac was born. But when Isaac was still young, God tested Abraham's obedience by bidding him to take his son, his only son, the very son of the promise, and go up to Mount Moriah, and there to offer Isaac as a burnt offering. Abraham was filled with grief but he obeyed the Lord and he took the boy up the mountain. Isaac of course was perplexed. In verse 7 he asks, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham replied that God himself would supply a lamb. When they got to the appointed place, Abraham laid his own son Isaac upon the altar, put the kindling wood around him, raised his knife to kill the sacrifice, when at that very moment the angel of the Lord spoke to Abraham. When we think of those words in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, many theologians will think of that as what they call a theophany, a pre-incarnation appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 11, And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Just then, Abraham looked up and noticed a ram caught in a bush, a ram which became the sacrifice in substitution for Isaac. And Abraham, verse 14, called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. The word Jehovah-Jireh simply means, the Lord is my provider. Now many people read this story from the life of Abraham and they see it as God's instruction to humanity that human sacrifice is displeasing to God and that it should be stopped. Even more people will interpret the passage as an inspirational story to help us to trust and obey to the extent that Abraham did so that we will please God in our lives. Both of those miss the essential point. The point that God has provided for himself, a lamb. A lamb that would be slain as the substitute for sinful humanity. That Old Testament lesson was fulfilled and perfected at Calvary where Jesus, God's spotless Son, his only Son, 
became the sacrificial lamb who gave his life in substitution for us worthless sinners. So when John the Baptist saw Jesus, who alone could fulfill the law, coming to be baptised in the Jordan, he exclaimed in John 1 and 29, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Truly, we can say that God is our provider. And in the atoning death and literal bodily resurrection of his only begotten Son, Jesus, he has made for us the greatest provision of all. He has provided us with the forgiveness of sin, with reconciliation and peace with God, with eternal life, abundant life. And we'll pause for a moment to think about that as we listen to the words of Psalm 104, verse 24 to verse 36. Lord, how many are your wonders? Wisely you have made them all. Earth is full of all your creatures, living things, both great and small. May the Lord's majestic glory always last and never fade. May the Lord rejoice and triumph in the works that he has made. To the Lord throughout my lifetime, to my God I will sing praise. May my meditation please him, as to him I my song I raise. But my sinners flee before him, and the wicked be no more. Praise be to the Lord Almighty, O my soul, the Lord adore.
let's go back to our catechism, to question 28. What does it profit us to know that God created, and by his providence upholds all things? Knowing that nothing happens by chance, the catechist wants us to apply that in a personal sense to our own lives. So he selects three areas in which we need to know and appreciate God's continuing sovereignty. They are when we are in distress, and when we are prospering, and when we consider the future and what it might hold for us. When we're in distress, the catechist says that we might be patient in adversity. What is more important in times of sickness or unemployment or difficulty than to know that the kindly providence of God is watching over us and determining our path? In Job chapter 1 and verse 21, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And when we're prospering, the Catechist says that we should be thankful in that prosperity. Sometimes when we're doing well, or are healthy, or are prosperous, we tend to think that we have become so by our own efforts. Let us be thankful to the Lord. Let us remember when we are doing well that every good gift we have is given to us by God. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 10, When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Many times when we're prospering, do we think to stop and say, thank you, Lord, for all you've given us. And when we consider the future and what it might hold for us, the Catechist says, and for what is future, have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. Do you know, for many people, the future is a frightening place. For the ungodly and the unforgiven sinner, it is especially scary. For life on this earth is a very short time indeed, and life may end in a sudden and unexpected manner, and the sinner will one day find him or herself standing before the God who executes perfect justice and administers that justice fairly in regard to our sin and rebellion. Just a few weeks ago, I had to visit a family for bereavement counselling. A young man in his 30s had died and I went to see his mother and sat with her and some of the other relatives and tried to talk to them and to talk them through their time of distress and trouble. The mother was finding it especially difficult. Why has God taken away my son? Why has this happened to us? I had to sit with her and try to explain patiently to her that death is a result of sin in the world. But the hardest question came when she said to me, I know you're probably not going to answer this question, but where is he now? That is the question. The future can be a frightening place. And for the Christian too, the future can be unsure. In the sense that we do not know any more than the ungodly when this life will end. The difference is that we do not sorrow without hope. 
we have comfort in knowing that our times are in God's hands, that the date of our departure is already fixed, and knowing with assurance that when we do depart this life, we enter into our eternal rest with our Saviour in glory forever and ever. So what does it profit us to know that God created and by his providence upholds all things? It helps us when we're in distress so that we might be patient. It helps us when we are prospering to remember that that prosperity comes from the hand of God. It helps us when the future frightens us, that we will have good confidence in our faithful God and Father, that no creature shall separate us from his love. A poet put God's providence like this. My life is but a waving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colours he waveth steadily. Oftentimes he waveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forgetteth that he seeth the upper, and I the underside. So not till the loom is silent, and the shuttles cease to fly, shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skilful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. There's one final point that needs to be made. The Catechist's understanding of the extent of God's sovereignty and continuing involvement with us and over his creation is well illustrated by his final comment in question 28. Since all creatures are so in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. One of the celebrated thinkers of the medieval church was a man called Thomas Aquinas. He's not a theologian I would often quote, I can assure you. Aquinas sought to prove the existence of God using philosophical arguments based on the logic of Plato, the ancient Greek philosopher. One of the arguments that he used is known as God the Divine Mover. Aquinas argued that since all around us we see movement in nature, there must have been a time when someone started that movement. Otherwise, Movement would be perpetual, just going back and forwards into infinity, ad infinitum. 
And since it is logical that someone had to start the movement, Aquinas argued that the situation suggests the existence of God. It's a complicated and a difficult form of argument. But our catechist implies the very same conclusion. He reminds us that nothing moves without the hand of God moving it. If something, anything at all, moves, whether it is large or small, God has willed that it should move, or it would not do so. On the earth, in the sky, in the motives and actions of other people, Proverbs chapter 21 says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. And that should simply overwhelm us with praise every time we think about it. There's motion all around us, the very movement of the earth itself, turning continually upon its axis. It is God who moves it. Paul, preaching to the learned philosophers of Athens, said, For in him we live and move and have our being. Thank you for listening to the podcast this week. Uh, During the month of August, there will be no catechism classes. Um, I need a month to catch up, to do some reading and preparation in order to get ready for the busy autumn and winter seasons. So don't look for any CDs falling on your mat. However, I will continue to produce the Acts and Replay series, uh, the sermon series, every Friday, God willing, throughout the month of August. So thank you again. It's been a good season. We have enjoyed our fellowship together. And I encourage you, if you're ever free, to come and visit us at Ballymacashan on the Lord's Day at 11.30. We'd be really glad to see you. Meanwhile, God bless you. Have a good August, a good summer. The Lord be with you and keep you safe until we come back again in September. <music>